welcome to hometown daily season two episode 246 for september 3rd 2023 tonight we discuss flamingonado maybe the next sharknado so flying flaming relocating flamingos diplo and chris rock escape burning man let them bake show and eat cake eh, we're confused with our messaging Arctic shark gets lost in vacations in Caribbean. Property sold without permission. Extreme weather impacts business. Drinking your NFL team. A new crater, a new crater made by Russian probe. Hotel won't let furniture stand in its way. Starfield saves lives. SAG-AFTRA voting to strike gaming publishers. This is bad news. And the mythosaur before the egg. Ah, let's get into... Hey, what's going on? I need to check something real quick. This is how the sausage is made, folks. Let's do that again. All of that and more. And I'm going to leave all of that in there just because... Production value is already kind of me. God, that didn't go through either. <laughs> Third time's the charm. <laughs> this this episode, I just want to start all over again. I was trying to be funny with Flamingonado, but <laughs> by saying it a certain way, I said Flamingonado, like, you know, tornado, tornado. Right. I know. I wondered why the accent. <laughs> I was I was just trying to be funny. And it, it just, even after I said it, I was like, oh, brother, that's just not funny. Anyway, let's get into today's news. I'm not even going to bother with any preamble for crying out loud. Let's go. Yeah, I'm even late on my switch. Okay, folks. <laughs> Watch. This is the episode that goes viral. Um, <laughs> Probably will be. Yeah. A streaming cringe, you know. Hey, uh, so I thought this was pretty interesting. Um Flamingos found in Florida likely hitched a ride with Hurricane Idalia or Idalia. How is that even possible? Anyway, it's in the Mobile Channel. Despite flamingos being nearly synonymous with Florida, the birds themselves aren't too common throughout the sun, sunshine state. I, I keep hearing that, but I don't know why that is. Um, the Floridians across the Gulf Coast are reporting unusual sightings of colorful flamingos as far north as the Panhandle uh, following Hurricane Idalia. According to the Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, or FWC, even though there's F-F-W-C-C, but okay, FWC. They ran a FedEx and shortened their name. I don't there know. you go. The extra hundred bucks to write all of those letters versus Federal Express across 
hundreds of planes. Anyway, 95% of flamingo sightings take place in within the Everglades in or within, I guess. I'm not sure. Biscayne, uh, Everglades, Biscayne Bay, and Florida Keys. But after Adalia swept up the coast, um, it appeared to have left several flamboyances, the term used for a group of flamingos, in its wake. A flamboyance. I mean, I wonder if they're um, in people's yards, like the fake the flamingo ones. craze. Articles over at uh, The Hill by Rachel Tucker. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting, you know. Hey, there's a flamingo in the yard. Yeah, yeah, I put it there last week. No, 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 there's like a, a flamingo in the yard. Uh-huh, I get it. I we I put it there. I bought one from Home Depot and I stuck it in the yard last week. No, you don't understand. <laughs> there's, there's a flock of flamingos in the front yard. <laughs> there's an entire flamboyance. Oh, right, yes. A flock of flingles. Uh, whoa, <laughs> a flock of flingles. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 600 episodes and I'm still going, yeah. Uh, okay, well. Sightings were reported from Sanibel Island near Fort Myers to St. Mark's south of Tallahassee. The birds are native to Venezuela, Mexico, and the Caribbean, according to the FWC. So is it possible they were carried up north with Hurricane Adalia? So it says here, a wildlife expert told Fort Myers News Press, that is likely the case. Quote, there is no way they're not storm birds. The question is, where do they come from? Was it Cuba or Mexico? There are good populations in the Yucatan, and several of the birds were seen where uh, were juveniles. So these birds were from a breeding population. Wow. Well, that's kind of sad if the baby flamingos were blown up to Florida in the storm and their parents stayed in Cuba or Mexico. No, they all may hang out. They, they, they might just... I don't know if all birds do this, like uh, certain types of birds, um, but I've seen birds be introduced to new chicks and they just pick them up. They just gobble them up, like not gobble them up. They, they, <laughs> oh my goodness, rephrase that. They just integrate seamlessly without any issue into their flamboyance, <laughs> into their flamboyance. Well, it wasn't, it was, um, geese that I saw. And there was no issue. These baby geese just came walking up. A whole herd of them. I don't know what they're called. Um, and uh, the parent, parental geese, the adult geese, were like, they were just like wiggling their necks, you know, and and like trying to get a good look at them. Like, are those lions or are those baby geese? And the baby geese just walked up and they hung out, apparently. Anyway, and so maybe a gaggle, a, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, my brain isn't working today. I should probably just not do a show. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it. Flamingos are now in Florida. Uh, they may fly back. I don't know how they they'll get there if they if their you know GPS sends them back along a coast back to where they're from, um, or now they're native to Florida and you're gonna have a whole bunch of. Uh, but with the predators out there, who knows? You know. 
Sorry to make it real, but the AI just threw me an error message. It's okay. I was already thinking about that because they said about the Everglades, which I thought, oh, that's not a good location for a yeah. flamingo to be. Yeah, that's kind of fast foodish. Okay, let's just uh, here. Wait, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be very cognizant of the fact that I haven't been putting the articles in the chat reliably. But we're going to go on to the next one. Uh, and this next one is in the continuity report. Uh, mainly because it has to do with entertainment. But um, Diplo and Chris Rock escape Burning Man flooding by catching a ride in Fan's pickup truck. So Diplo escaped Burning Man with comedian Chris Rock after heavy rainfall interrupted the festival on Friday night. By the way, there are still people that are trapped there. Um, let me see. Um, I actually, 70,000 festival attendees remain stuck at Burning Man. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but it, <laughs> it no. doesn't look like a desert. No, I haven't. Um, I've seen a picture of the main building, but nothing other than that. And that it just looks like muddy as all get out. So in a video posted uh, to Diplo's Instagram on Saturday, the DJ records himself in the back of a pickup truck with uh, Rock and other festival goers. A fan offered Chris Rock and I a ride out of Burning Man. So, yeah. Michaela Z over at Variety.com <laughs> put the article together. And um, Diplo added in the post caption, I legit walked the side of the road for hours with my thumb out because I have a show in D.C. tonight and didn't want to let y'all down. Also, shout out to this guy for making the smart purchase of a truck, not knowing it was for this exact moment. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I can mute this. Let me see. Oh, wow. All right. I mean, that does not look pleasant because did you see the shoes like kind of sticking yeah. in the mud with each step? <laughs> Everything was pretty horrible. I guess there are no real services there anymore. Um, everything's kind of going Lord of the Flies, it seems. Um, so tens of thousands of attendees were left stranded in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada after a heavy rainstorm Friday night trapped them in thick and slippery mud. Festival goers have been ordered to conserve food and water and fuel as well as shelter in place due to the weather. It's pretty bad. I think this is the first time that something like this happened. Um, this is like the worst that I've heard, but that's what happens out in the desert. Climate change. Climate change, yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. You can get paid $600 to eat cake and watch a show about baking ahead of the new series of the Great British Baking Show, which I have not seen a single episode of. Uh, one company is offering something even better than a Paul Hollywood handshake. I'm assuming that's a reference to the show, but I don't know. Yeah, really. Uh, Jack Beresford or Beresford um, put this article together for Newsweek.com. 
And uh, the video that's here is Icelandic baker uses lava to bake bread, which I don't think has anything to do with the show in any way, shape, or form, but in Newsweek fashion. <laughs> um, fun articles, but wow, the videos just never attach properly. Well, they never attach based on the subject. So if the answer, okay. Do you like watching Great British British Baking Show? Do you like eating cake? And do you like watching the Great British Baking Show while eating cake? Well, if you answer yes to all three of those, then this may be an opportunity for you. Ahead of the return of the Great British Baking Show in the UK uh, later this month, UK-based uh, holiday rental service, the Big House Experience, is offering one lucky fan the chance to sample some of the new season's delights and get paid for it in the process. So I guess you have to be there, right? I think most people would pay to eat cake. Getting paid to eat cake is a pretty good uh, perk. Yeah, the interest uh, could increase further if one lucky U.S. viewer, should they land this dream job with the big house experience, according to the job description, they're on the lookout for someone with a refined palate who will be paid $600 plus expenses to watch each episode of the great British baking show um, new season before tasting and rating a baked good based around each week's designated theme. They'll be required to report back their findings uh, to the big house experience, the Oso oh English names of the cakes and bakes that uh, need reviewing are Victoria sponge cake, scones, Welsh cakes, uh, shortbread, pasties, or pasties, I think it's pronounced pasties, uh, crumpets, uh, sticky toffee pudding, eclay, is that it, right? Uh, cake, bakewell tart, Chelsea bun, sausage rolls, and pork pies. And yeah, they are quite uh, British English names. So uh, this sounds like it might be fun. If you want to apply for this gig, you can actually follow this link, go through hometown and at the bottom of the article. Oh God. I swear. Today is a hot mess. Um, if you go over to the site, you'll see this link. So in order to apply, simply follow this link and fill out a form explaining why you are the best person for the job and why you should be picked to rate and review baked treats. I should probably fill this out because I'm doing a horrible job at streaming a news show. <laughs> well, I don't know who would serve as mayor if you had to go taste cakes. Mm, anybody can do this gig, really. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> so uh, this next article is over in Omtown Daily. And let me throw that into the chat. A mysterious Arctic shark that can live for 500 years got lost and ended up swimming in the balmy waters of the Caribbean, scientists say. A shark was found in the Caribbean, thousands of miles away from its usual habitat in the Arctic. Do you think it waved at the flamingos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess that would be like an airmail delivery of a meal or something like that, right? If it would have... Oh, right, right. I wasn't thinking of it like that. Uh, I was just thinking they crossed paths at some point. <laughs> yeah, Joe, hey. 
Um, I don't know if flamingos ever make it to Greenland, but the Greenland shark, uh, which has a lifespan of 250 to 500 years, surprised researchers in Belize. It looked like something that should exist in or would exist in prehistoric times, said biologist. So let's go over to the source of this article. Rebecca Roman is the author of this article uh, over at businessinsider.com. This is what the shark looks like. A Greenland shark picture taken at the flow edge of the Admiralty Inlet in Nanavut in 2007. This thing looks like old cement. It does look like old cement. <laughs> I couldn't think of how to describe it, but that's exactly that thing it. is wild looking. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks like it looks very much like the like glacier above. Or whatever that is right there. I mean, it looks right. like... Wow, that's pretty wild. Um, so, let's see. Researchers were tagging and temporarily catching tiger sharks off the coast of Belize when they encountered the mysterious shark, said a paper recently published in the science journal Marine Biology. After setting a line in Belize's protected Glover's Reef Atoll, or Atoll, um, while monitoring and uh, researching tiger sharks, the biologists returned to, to find their line had moved several miles away from the coral reef into deep waters uh, 2,000 feet deep. When they retrieved their scientific catch, they were astonished to find the ancient Greenland shark. One of the researchers, Hector Daniel, Daniel sorry, Martinez, remarked it looked very, very old, emphasizing its deep sea habitat pretty cool wow i didn't know sharks lived that long i don't know if all of them do this one apparently um does 200 to 500 250 to 500 years old i don't know how you figure that out though i mean nobody's been around nothing's been tagged for 250 years Has, right they? exactly like how do they figure that out can they figure that out maybe by their teeth i don't know how yeah. I mean, maybe they cut them in half and count their rings. I don't think that works like on trees. The nearby reef's slope plunges to a depth of 9,500 feet, offering a cold and dark environment suited for Greenland sharks. The discovery raises the question of whether this particular Greenland shark migrated to the Caribbean from the Arctic waters or if it spent much of its life in the depths of tropical waters of the region. It, it remains That's really interesting yeah so um let's see i'm trying to see if they have to wait more than 100 years whoa <laughs> to get busy apparently <laughs> wow i probably shouldn't keep scrolling i'm trying to read something um so uh, the, a 2020 study determined via genetic analysis that there are two geographically separate populations of Greenland sharks. One group swims near Canada's Baffin Basin above the Arctic Circle, while the other occupies waters of the North Atlantic Ocean between Nova Scotia and Svalbard um, near Norway. So um, some can grow to 24 feet long, weigh 2,600 pounds, um, even though they grow only... 0.4 inches annually so one centimeter yep there you go folks they had to do it again 
they don't they don't reach sexual maturity until they're 134 years old. That's a long time frame. Yeah, poor thing. All right, let's keep going. I have nothing else to say about this. <laughs> poor shark. Um. So the next article is over in hometown daily property owners are increasingly having their land sold out from under them Four experts break down the failures, allowing this and how the crime can be prevented in the future. We've actually talked about more than one event like this, um, over the last two years. Well, one year and nine months, um, where property is sold from under somebody without their explicit permission. Um, and this might actually be featuring one of the ones we've talked about. So data from Maybe. FBI indicates that uh, real estate scams have increased 64% from 2020 to 2021. Wow. Just one year. Um, identity verification is a weak point in real estate transactions that can open the door to fraud. The safeguards aren't necessarily the problem. Experts said it's people not stressing the details in the documents in May. Dr. Daniel Konigsberg returned to his property in Fairfield, Connecticut to discover an uh, under construction $1.5 million, 4,000 square foot house. The issue, as far as he knew it, he still owned the land. And yeah, that's one of two um, that I can remember immediately talking about. Um, the articles over at uh, Business Insider, Jordan Pandy is the author. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because you would think that somebody would have to verify the identity of the person and there are notaries that are supposed to be the, the one that verifies the integrity of the contract about to be signed. Exactly. So that makes me think somebody submitted very sophisticated fraudulent documents. Yeah. Uh, but they're supposed to take pictures and do all of that. So they know exactly who it is by face, maybe not by name, but, or they're not doing their job. And I think the issue with the Connecticut one was something like somebody submitted a false property deed or something. And so I think maybe they verified somebody against that information, but the baseline information was wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no way to, if it, if the data is pointing wrong, you can verify the identity, but the data that's on that document might be wrong, which means you have to cross-reference it, um, which may not be possible due to the age of the location, the documents at hand, et cetera. So, um, Konigsberg and the LLC building the house on the formerly vacant property said that they're both victims of the title fraud. Add to the list, William Gordon, who said the Tucson, Arizona land he planned to build his retirement home on was sold without his knowledge. That's actually the third that I know of. Um, because, uh, I, I believe I talked about this one too. Um, there's another one where the people built their entire house, had owned it and paid property taxes, but it was built in the wrong lot. Oh, wow. Um, because they didn't, not they, but somebody else didn't verify it before the new owner took possession of the house. It had been sold, but the lot over is the one that they were supposed to, that whole house was supposed to be built on. Um, wow. 
Yeah. So again, it's it's really the details, right? So quite well, interesting. Well, these seem like basic details. I mean, doesn't it's like okay, do you own a property at this location? No. Yeah. Okay, we're not proceeding. <laughs> yeah, quite interesting. Um, in both instances, the red flags uh, were there but went unnoticed. Konigsberg's family trust name was misspelled on a deed transferring ownership to him decades ago which should have been flagged during the buying process and could have thwarted the fraudulent sale in 2022 gordon's social security number and mailing address were incorrect on his congratulatory note of sale um so both of those were mistakes in the data not the identity so Fraudulent sales like these are on the rise, according to a report from the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Boston Division. 11,578 people nationwide reported losses of $350 million due to real estate-related scams, including title fraud. Wow, pretty amazing. I mean, based on the average price of a house, that sounds like a lot of properties. Yep. Well, 11,000 people. You would think. Right, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of property. Um, and it's all because of some data point. It, but then, obviously, there are other real nefarious peoples at foot here. So, maybe a lot of these are just um, still under investigation. You could probably write books about this. There's so many of them build an entire business about stopping this type of fraud. I keep scrolling because I'm trying to find something that might be interesting, more interesting to talk about. Right. Um, but see, it says well, it's for most weird notar- because it seems like things like realtors and notaries and all of these people that participate in the process, like you'd think they'd already be checking some of these things. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what they say at the very bottom of this. Whether it be the misspelling of the property owner's name or having the social the wrong social security number document on the documents, mistakes happen. But in real estate transactions, there are multiple steps involving identity and the and fix those mistakes. For most notaries who act as a witness to the signing of documents like a deed, a driver's license will suffice for uh, identification. If a buyer is out of state, oftentimes photocopied version is sent to the notary. Uh, or held up during a video call for Pat Kinzel. That's not enough. Kinzel's the founder and CEO of Notarize, a remote electronic notary service, which allows documents like deeds to be notarized online. He believes the technology can step in where humans are falling short. And so they go a step further with their particular verification. Um, but online notarization is is still beyond uh, arm's length so i don't that quite seems like that opened the door to more fraud yeah because at least if you're in person like for instance the connecticut one is somebody going to travel from another country or something to connecticut to do it yeah i don't understand it it, it says we don't even require a document we think we can add that same higher level of security to e-signature and ultimately to transactions that don't even require a document, but what are they doing? Because it's about the documents themselves and the verification of the 
Right, and if you have the wrong person and they do an e-signature, I don't see how that fixes it. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, but they don't say about what... He believes that technology can step in where humans are falling short, but what technology? Because um, they don't enumerate it any in this article. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Oomtown Daily as well. Uh, for small business reliant on summer tourism, extreme weather is the new pandemic. Uh, for small businesses that rely on summer tourism to keep afloat, extreme weather is replacing the pandemic as the determining factor um, in how well a summer will go. Um I know from experience there are a lot of locations that um, are kind of collapsing because of inclement weather, weather variations, and then the pandemic didn't help this at all. It had already started, you know, five years ago, but then the pandemic hit and it basically killed businesses uh, pretty fast. Um, and now the weather is still, if not just as odd it's getting worse and so particularly um coastline businesses tourist locations are very hard hit and fraught with am i going to survive another uh, odd weather situation um and uh, i'll I, I i don't know i don't know if <laughs> moving to an online environment to be able to augment your summer tourism with other things that you can do remotely, right? Like provide other services or goods. Like there are candy stores that are making huge amounts of business, but they're in tourist spots, but they sell mostly to online because they do videos and stuff like that, that drive traffic. Um, but not every small business can do something like that. So that's right. Small... And if you're like a kayak tour company or something, like, is that really feasible to do stuff online? Probably yeah. not. Uh, yeah. Other than shipping kayaks, I suppose. Um, May Anderson is an AP business writer. This is posted over at abcnews.go.com. The deck statement says for small businesses that rely on summer tourism to keep afloat, extreme weather is replacing the pandemic as the determining factor of how well a summer will go. Um, they talk about the summer or the pandemic having ups and downs. Tourism related businesses have always been at the mercy of the weather, but with uh, heat waves, fires and storms becoming more frequent and intense, small businesses increasingly see extreme weather as their next long term challenge. Yeah, I don't know if you're out there and you have a small business um, and, and you're not uh doing well because of the pandemic and or because of weather and let me know um, i'm really curious about this yeah, not that i'm so big that i can hype up and save a business but um, definitely can drive business towards people or people towards businesses other way around i suppose um, for jared myers owner of legacy vacation resorts with eight locations including four in florida hurricane adalia is landfall wednesday as a category three storm led to a loss in revenue that he's temporarily closed one resort and closed another to new guests 
It also means a, a lengthy cleanup period to fix gutter and other damage and beach cleanup, including replanting of seagrass, sea grapes, and other plants to protect against the next storm. Yeah, that's pretty intense. But it's one of those things that you have to keep in mind when you start up a business like this, nature doesn't care about your business model. <laughs> right. And although we know hurricanes have been increasing, at least in intensity, if not number, um, like if you set up a beach related business in Florida, you're going to have to worry about hurricane season every year. Yeah, you better plan. And now you can't get insurance from a lot of places. So I don't know what these people are actually going to end up doing. Um, historic snowfall in March in, in uh, Yosemite, followed by a wilderfire, affected one hike. Uh, Silderberg, uh, who is Steve Silderberg in Saco, Maine, runs a fit packing business or a business called Fit Packing. Um, they had planned to go to Yosemite. Another hike was canceled due to unusually large snowfall rendering the Narrows, part of Zion Canyon and Zion National Park in Utah, impassable due to the high amount of uh, meltwater. Then they had to cancel a trip uh, to the Los Padres uh, National Forest in California due to wildfires and subsequent flooding, which destroyed trails and made them impassable. <laughs> It's wow, the they looked like they were really hit badly this year. Yeah, nature just said, screw that business right there. That one, that one. No, 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 not the one right there. That the one over, just one business over. That's it. So definite extreme weather is here to stay, said Shachi Mehra, executive chef and partner at Adia Indian Restaurant in Anaheim, California. The restaurant is located in the Anaheim Packing House, a food hall in a historic 1919 citrus packing house near Disneyland. The restaurant closed for a day proactively during Tropical Storm Hillary, losing a day of sales. Heat has been more of an issue as businesses uh, slowed in late July this summer during a surge in temperature. Mayra said she suspects the heat is behind the slowdown since typically things start to slow in late August or September. That so started to slow in July because the temperatures were high. Wow. Um, the article has a, a lot more uh, to review, so I would follow the link through hometown and, and go and check out the rest of this article. It's pretty neat. Let's keep going. Um, this next article is over in the Order of the Great channel that's in at uh, hometown, uh, hometown.com. Here's what your NFL team would be if it were a drink. <laughs> I wish I would have had this like over the weekend, uh, like on Friday or Thursday. Right, right. This wasn't posted in until the last 25 or 24 hours, 25 hours. On my home planet, it's 25 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a leap day. I don't know. A, a leap day. There you go. Leap hour or something. <laughs> I had no idea a drink called Kansas City ice water existed until 24 hours before Super Bowl. Is What is that, 52? Uh, or 75? I don't know. I can't. I don't remember. 57. 57. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, 57. Um, opening kickoff. Uh, the day before the Kansas City Chiefs took to the Philadelphia Eagles, um, the author's wife and they uh, thought it would be fun to make a couple of cocktails celebrating the participant cities. After some intrepid digging, 
Um, they Googled Kansas City cocktail. Uh, I don't know how, what that's going to risky click your way to. A, uh, they stumbled upon an easy drinking highball with a vodka gin split base. It looked like a tall, cool glass of ice water and the perfect kind of no-fuss, no-must drink to enjoy during a big sporting event. It was a touchdown. Apparently they made several of them. That's a neat graphic. Illustration yeah, by Danielle Greenberg um, over at vinepair.com. Rich Manning is the author. Um, and the article is titled, Here's What Your NFL Team Would Be If It Were a Drink. Um, I didn't throw this into the chat real quick, but I'm staying more on top of it, folks. Um, so the drink they made for the Eagles was also aces more on that later, but the Kansas city ice water, that was a reveal and it got them thinking, why wait for Super Bowl to engage in this little exercise? Meaningful NFL action happens weekly with, uh, from September until February, except for the week or the big game or before the big game. So Arizona Cardinals is the tequila sunrise. That's a pretty drink. Yeah, it's actually really good. Atlanta Falcons, Cab Calloway, pioneering bartender Tiffany Barry or Barry uh, created a min a mighty drink for Atlanta airport bar and restaurant. One flew south, proving the craft cocktail creativity can happen even in the most unexpected places. The spirit forward drink of uh, Oloroso Sherry, Rye Whiskey, Vermouth, and Apricot functions as an aperitivo. So it will also prepare your stomach for the chicken wings and nachos you'll be downing after kickoff. Sure. Not the biggest fan of Vermouth, but okay. Baltimore Ravens is the Orange Crush. I won't go through all of the recipes. I'll send you over there and you can check them out. Buffalo Bills, gin and jam. So you get an idea of what's in it. Orange Crush, by the way, um, has vodka and triple sec. So you kind of get that orange there. Uh, gin and jam has a Loganberry juice and syrup as difficult to find in the greater Buffalo area, unless you're willing to buy them online and bite the bullet on shipping costs. Yeah, you buy a bunch of them. That way you never, you just put them in storage and you wait until you run low and go grab another one or forget entirely and order more again. Yes, that does happen. That never happens. No. Cherry bounce. This sounds good. Spirit of choice. Although... The traditional spirit used is brandy. The drink can be labor intensive as the steeping process can take anywhere from three days to three months, depending on the recipe. What? I mean, who's planning ahead for three months to make a cocktail? Oh, it's because the cherries are steeped in the spirit of your choice. Just that just gives it a little kick. I don't think you need to do that, but all right. Um, and there's, um links to recipes by the way so um this well, that's neat this article isn't just pictures in a paragraph it's there are links to to the various um articles where necessary the cincinnati Bengals cincinnati cocktail it just says fill a pint glass halfway with beer and top it off with soda water that's all there's your recipe <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i've never heard of that but then the Cleveland Browns has the Bloody Mary, and it's a link to a Bloody Mary cocktail uh, recipe. Um, Dallas Cowboys frozen margarita. 
Denver Broncos is the Buffalo Bill, which is n- not really bringing up pretty pictures for me because Buffalo Bill it is from a movie. Um. Anyway, uh, let's see. Restaurant called Buckhorn Exchange and enjoy a concoction of equal parts bourbon and apple juice. That might sweeten it up to the point where you wouldn't even care that it's bourbon anymore. Right, that might be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's close to like a harder-hitting snake bite, which is beer and cider. Um, so Detroit Lions is the Hummer. Green Bay Packers is the Wisconsin Old Fashioned, which Old Fashions are just awesome anyway. You don't really need the maraschino cherries, but a uh, sugar cube bitters. Um, I don't know what they put in it. What was the alcohol they put? This in one it? is brandy. Do they have it listed? Oh, there it is. I just I stopped reading it. Um, you'll reach for brandy instead of bourbon. So, Houston Texans Carajillo, Carajillo, sorry Carajillo. Um, it's an espresso martini evolved. So, don't have espresso and coffee will do in a pinch. Yeah, it's not concentrated enough, but it'll do, I suppose. The Hoosier Heritage. Its original favorite is Elmo Cola, a drink invented by old school indie restaurant St. Elmo Steakhouse. It's also a little too regional. Its main ingredient is St. Elmo's vanilla and cherry infused bourbon, a bottle that barely exists outside Indiana, if at all. Fortunately, Hoosier Heritage uh, provides a reliable backup. Sprung from a contest held by the Indiana State Museum in 2015, the state's unofficial drink consists of rye whiskey, maple syrup, lemon juice, apple cider, shaken and strained into ice. Then we have Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, the breakfast martini, which the article's quite long. Um, So what... What team do you think that you would like? The thing about some um, of this is that the the band has changed tune quite often <laughs> since. Look I... at the New Orleans Saints one. Really? How do you pronounce that? I have no idea. Ukare, I <laughs> guess. It... Yeah, I think so. Um, you have plenty it of. It just cocktail... looked neat from oh, the picture. Look at it. Okay, don't try and read it. <laughs> that's that's probably the safer bet just look at it so yeah it looks really nice that's a neat glass a little too delicate i think though i'd probably break that thing you have plenty of cocktail options to consider when you're watching the saints play thanks to new orleans deep cocktail history that i guess it's view correct gets the nod for two reasons First, it's delicious. Second, it gives you an excuse to use that bottle of Benedictine that's been sitting at your home bar virtually untouched for the past five years. I always wonder how long uh, alcohol can just sit there. Um, I don't think I've ever gotten a definitive answer of how long alcohol can sit there. Like wine can sit for a long time, but... Right, but at some point it's just not... Like once you open it, it wasn't yeah. like a high quality wine. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's opened, I, I, I know, see like bar- alcohol in barrels, it it's breathing and off gassing and it can sit there for 24 
years. It's not in a sealed container. Um, but at what point does alcohol just kind of go meh, you know, once it's open? I know wine can within like five minutes. So <laughs> right, you're supposed to put an inert gas in the bottle and then seal it back up. Um, or a balloon or something like that. They're, they make contraptions, but... New York Jets. Uh, this thing is just... It's one for every team, for crying out loud. <laughs> Did you see the fuss fungal go by? Fuss fungal. Pittsburgh Steelers fuss fungal. The, drink, the drink's name sounds like a type of verbal gobbledygook Lewis Carroll may have thrown into the middle of Jabberwocky. It's actually a sweater riff, a sweeter riff on an old rye... Sorry, a rye old-fashioned purportedly created in a pittsburgh speakeasy in 1902 the original specs call for burnt molasses syrup to go along with the drinks rye and orange bitters but a burnt brown sugar syrup will work just fine yeah that throws a lot of burnt brown sugar syrup makes it i don't know just really bitter that that bitter taste of burnt brown sugar uh, but hey, it's an old fashioned. So you throw some, uh, it says orange bitters uh, in there. And um, this might be offset by the sweetness of some additional sugar. I don't know. Uh, but my old fashions are shockingly good until you just don't care that they don't necessarily <laughs> taste like a conventional old fashioned. Um, oh, there's so many. I don't want to spend all night on this. So I might spend all night on this outside of the show, just <laughs> tooling through this article. Uh, but this is pretty cool. Thanks, Vine Pair. Yeah, that was a neat article. It is. Something different. I try to do those before the weekend, um, but, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. Well, not so much anymore. Um, uh, Jimmy in, Buffett's spirit can still live on. Jimmy Buffett's spirit lives on for everybody. It's five o'clock somewhere. Um, the next uh, article's over in the Marvel Channel. NASA spots new moon crater, uh, likely caused by a crashed Russian probe. Uh, NASA spotted a small new crater on the moon it, that was likely caused by a Russian probe crash landing on the surface around two weeks ago. I mean, um, first of all, it's embarrassing when you crash your uh, rocket, but it's really embarrassing if there's a permanent crater on the <laughs> surface and everybody's like, you did that. It's like my career. Um, so the article's over at fizz.org. It doesn't have an actual, like, date on, or, like, source, other than maybe it's just from NASA and then uh, fizz.org wrote something. But usually there's a byline. I don't see it here. Anyway, the finding was made by the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, or LRO, by comparing before and after images of the estimated impact point provided by Russia and uh, space agency Roscosmos. The Luna 25 probe crashed on August 19th, scuppering. I like that word, scuppering. Uh, Russia's hopes of reviving its long-dormant moon program with the first-ever soft landing on the lunar south pole. Instead, they chose the hard landing. What's really sad about this is when you look at it, it didn't just hit. I, I, I think that's it, right? It hit and then just like blew oh, wow. stuff. 
off into them. I don't know. Yeah, I think like when it, it landed right there at an angle and then blew stuff that way, right? Yeah, that's probably how it works. Because it made its own little crater. Aw. It made its nest. Yeah, so I don't know what this is going to hold. So I'm going to hit the play button and we'll see. I, what? <laughs> that's wow, just silly. Okay. <laughs> if there's a before, it's behind this. <laughs> so goofy. Anyway, the new crater is about 10 meters in diameter, some 400 kilometers short of Luna 25's intended landing point. Eh, it tried. It tried to get there. Good on it. Come on. Uh, the next article is over in the uh, Omtown Daily uh, channel. This hotel chain is giving people a surprise new way to customize the rooms by offering it without furniture. Now, I had to take a look at this because it didn't make any sense to me. Um, Do people have to bring their furniture with them, like on the airplane? Well, here's the thing. Hotel chain Waterwalk is doing extended stay hotels differently. Many of its rooms are unfurnished. Travelers who book these unfurnished accommodations stay for an average of about 400 nights. Whoa. I mean, I've heard of extended stay, but that's extended. Waterwalk has 13 locations with more in its pipeline in markets like Jacksonville, Florida. Although its market might have been blown north a bit by hurricane. With um, the flamingos. Yeah, exactly. That's a new a new slogan, right? Like Waterwalk, Waterwalk extended stay with flamingos from the Caribbean. <laughs> If you enjoy minimalist designs, you'll love Waterwalk. The expanding hotel chain is giving travelers the ultimate form of minimalism by offering completely unfurnished hotel rooms. Now, again, I dig Business Insider because they do uh, uh, neat photos with a little snippet um, for each photo. Brittany Chang over at businessinsider.com put the article together. I mean, I mean, that's you... Spartan. <laughs> it's a brand new home. You know, this is the, it looks like a brand new apartment. It looks like a brand new home. You walk in, there is nothing there, nothing personal. It is like surgery suite, like Spartan naked, nothing there. Um, so guest staying in water walks, unfurnished, unfurnished uh, hotel rooms stay for an average of 400 nights. So, I don't, these are like really long-term rentals or I should say like hotel stays. Right. So how much are these? I didn't look. Um, no, you're not supposed to sleep on the floor. Although the author says, um, I guess you could instead travelers who book these rooms are expected to bring your own furniture. But if you're a traditionalist, don't snub water walk just yet. The brand's properties have furnished rooms too. Um, the granddaughter, Mimi Oliver, helms the company. Um, staying in the hotel can be half the fun of traveling. Who doesn't like the giddy feeling of exploring an unfamiliar hotel room with new furniture? Uh, I 
have never even thought about it. <laughs> um, its accommodations range from studios to three-bedroom suites. While the hotel chain does offer traditional rooms, its unfurnished rooms are what sets it apart from the other extended-stay competitors. This looks like an apartment. Um, think of it as an apartment with monthly um, Wi-Fi and utilities included. It, there must be something else that should have been stated here, but it didn't get stated. Similar to a traditional apartment, guests looking to stay in the furniture less suites have to fulfill the typical pre-rental agreements or requirements. Sorry. This includes uh, proving... Uh, Proving a credit score of at least 550 and a monthly income of two and a half to three times the rent, according to Waterwalk's website. That's insane. But unlike apartments, the company doesn't offer leases. It's still a hotel. That looks really nice. Is that... Is that the lobby? <laughs> or is that the room? I don't know. For those who are... Uh, checking this out via the podcast, it looks like a lobby with built-in bookshelf um, and seating for 30. <laughs> right, that must be the lobby, but it doesn't look like it's open. It just says water walk, so I have no idea. Um, but everything looks... I mean, these are all staged uh, pictures, so... Um, I'm trying to find a, a price, but it doesn't. Oh, okay. Prices start at about 115 to over 200 a night for these accommodations, depending on the time of year. During high travel season, its Phoenix location books closer to 250 a night. That's nothing, though. You know, I mean, if it you're... is if it's for a whole year. Yeah, but it's a hotel, so you don't have to worry about anything. Um, but on the unfurnished side, this is a, it looks a bit different is what it says. On average, guests in water walks, furnitureless rooms stay for a whopping approximately 400 nights. I've been saying that before. And apartment, or sorry, and payments are on a monthly basis. At the Tucson, Arizona location, an unfurnished one bedroom starts closer to $1,500 a month. Which is about right for an actual apartment. Yet it's a hotel, so you never, you're like, clean my um, hotel room, you know, make my bed, all of that kind of stuff. It's interesting. Waterwalk's newer properties also include traditional communal hotel spaces like a lounge in the lobby and an outdoor space with fire pits and grills. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's unlike anything else I've seen. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I messed up. I skipped an article and fell into a groove and skipped that this article too. So let me make it up to y'all. There you go. Um, so that's Water Walk and uh, the articles over at Business Insider. Let's keep on going. Ah, come on. I don't know what's going on. Things are slow. The next article is over in the Warcrafter channel. Uh, Starfield saves lives is the PSA here. Man up all night playing Starfield saves his family from an apartment fire. Starfield saved me and my family's life, reads the title of a Reddit post by Tidy 
see Killa, complete with a picture of a blazing fire overcoming an apartment complex. What at first was hyperbolic turns out to be completely true as one man excited for the uh, Starfield or excited for Starfield since the earliest trademark filing rumors was awake uh, on a gaming binge when a rapidly spreading fire threatened his home. Let's go over to bit. Uh, I mean, I never would have thought of gaming as saving somebody's life. But yep, here we it go. It sure does. Saves a lot of people's lives, actually. Uh, so, uh, won't get into it. But uh, PCGamer.com, um, Jonathan Bolding is the author. Uh, the deck statement says, I do believe this is one of those epic gamer moments we've heard so much about. Um on the night of August 31st, they decided to stay up and play as long as possible to experience this new universe. At 2.26 in the morning, while playing the game, they heard an explosion from their downstairs neighbor's apartment. They paused the game to see what um, what was happening. Uh, when they opened the door, they saw flames rising up their stairwell to their apartment. Immediately got the wife and cat rushing to safety with only minor burns. If they hadn't been up binging... Uh, Starfield, they would have been asleep and would have all died of smoke inhalation. Um, I want to thank this game for saving my family and me from a horrible fate. That's pretty intense, right? So if it still sounds hyperbolic to you, it's a very likely scenario. Tidy C. Killa says the explosion was below them. Wife did sleep through it. With the fire spreading so rapidly and sealed doors between their apartment and the fire, Tidy C. Killa thinks the smoke detectors wouldn't have gone off until the fire had blocked the family into the apartment. As for escape via windows, wish we could have. Fire went up the front and back of the building and blew out all the windows, just barely made it uh, down before the, that happened, which is actually pretty reliable for what happens. Um... So there you go. They're living in a hotel and he's playing on his Xbox. Well, I hope Starfield is going to uh, give him like a free game or something. <laughs> give him, For all give, the positive publicity. Give him one of the collector's editions. There's got to be a few hundred laying around somewhere. Good consolation prize for the marketing. Starfield saves lives. You heard it here. Let's keep going. <laughs> pretty neat so we got two more articles today uh, this next article is over in the warcrafter channel sag aftra is holding a vote to potentially strike against major video game publishers i wish that they would change that to just game publishers or i don't know video games sounds so old school the national board of actors union sag aftra has sent a strike authorization vote to members over the renegotiation of its interactive media agreement the potential strike would affect voice acting and motion capture work for major publishers in the industry. The current interactive media agreement was sent in 2017 and was originally supposed to expire in 2020, as reported by Variety. It was first extended to 2022 and then had another year's extension after that. SAG after notes that the agreement's signatories include major video game publishers like Activision Productions Incorporated. Um and others so they have a list here uh, the agreement is separate from sag after's negotiations for its tv theatrical and streaming contracts that underpin the historic uh, double strike with the writers guild against major hollywood studios 
I still find it interesting that the directors have made their agreement, but again, there's more wealth there, like concentrated within a certain number of people. So it might've been easier to come to a conclusion because you can't have a movie without a director, but then you can't have a movie without any of the actors or the, the people behind exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the SAG-AFTRA is just trying, and the WGA is just trying to get um, more of what makes them more compensation for their value. And without the strike, that they they have nothing, right? Because they're gonna fall back into the same dynamic where the agreement says that streaming and, and whatever else and, and the amount of hours worked and blah, blah, blah amount to something that it isn't, uh, it, you can't live off of it anymore, particularly in these regions that the people live, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, New York. Where was the country though? We saw there was a big push for video game design do you remember oh right the island where was that oh my goodness i, I want to say canary islands but i don't think that's right it might actually be canary islands huh i'm not sure i forgot i'm sorry um, one thing that simplifies the upcoming interactive media negotiations versus the film and tv stalemate is the video games haven't experienced anything close to the revenue upheaval brought on by the streaming model while digital distribution Corporate consolidation and the indie boom have drastically changed the face of games industry in the past 10 years. Performers who contribute to video games are still largely paid in the same way. Yeah. And they're not necessarily under threat of being cloned by AI and wholesale uh, removed. The human is wholesale removed from video games and... Um, right. I mean, because it could happen for video games. AI could do all of it, the voice acting, you know. But the voice acting is tied to the name, and people always know who the voice actor is, the, the people that really pay for these games. They they always find out, God, who is it that does the voice acting? Um, but when I was younger, I didn't care about that stuff. All I wanted to do was play good games. Um, well, and wouldn't the average gamer not necessarily care about that? Yeah, I don't know. Nowadays, a lot of people are really well, they're, they're invested in the voice actors um, and, and they love knowing who it is. And, and particularly on Twitch, people talk about that all the time. Um, so we'll see what happens. SAG-AFTRA extending its strike to video game publishers is it's just another thing where people are going to go, well, what are, what are we going to do for the next X number of months? Because me as a consumer, I can't do much to change the tide. I'm not the one that has any of the negotiating power. Um, it, it's really the people with the purse strings that are sitting there holding on to more of the purse strings tighter and tighter and tighter and not giving up any of it to the people who actually make it all possible. And I'm not, not just the writers, not just the actors that are on the front line, but the people who are behind the actors that are making everything happen those are the people that are really the unsung heroes because they 
they don't get any of the notoriety unless it's word of mouth from within the industry. So that's why oh, the strike we haven't exists. heard about them striking. That's part of the SAG-AFTRA. All of the the background, like the crew and everybody, is yeah, all part of all, that. All of that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just anybody who's done work on um, movie sets, and it's a whole bunch of different venues where you can qualify for SAG-AFTRA. Um, and then if you're a writer, then you join the Writers Guild. You can do both. And then you're basically now, it's kind of like, uh, <clears throat> like if you're, if you ha are in a, if you're a couple and you have somebody in WGA and somebody in SAG-AFTRA and you both end up striking at the same time, <laughs> you basically lost your income. I mean, this is just brutal. Um, so I hope that they settle this. Um, I don't feel like they are anytime soon though and i don't i don't know if the studios have much incentive to to cave yeah they, well they've got they all of the money and they're they're exactly. getting a steady stream of revenue at the peak of its performance and and the longer the strike goes on the more people are consuming the other stuff that's already uh entrenched in the old contract the the problem there is that it, it's not making the people that are suffering richer um, by suffering. It's making the people that are causing the suffering rich, you know, the, to, to gain wealth. I don't know. And the, they, the people that are, that have to cave are sitting there going, well, I'm so rich. I don't have to worry about it as much as the people, you know, those poors. <sighs> We'll, we'll just keep on watching and see what happens. Um, but I end up talking about this periodically with people. I think it's shocking that it's gone on this long. It's like people can't see that it's the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, the, the, the people that are doing the work, um, not just the people. Anybody can stumble their way through a contract negotiation and and show to a potential buyer how good something that's obviously good is right so so sag aftra and wga they bust their hump creating something that's amazing and all these c level executives have to do is go hey look at this great product we have right and then it becomes you know, arbitrage pricing a little bit more money when they say this is how much it's going to cost. And you literally, I mean, you're trying to sell it to somebody else and or license it or whatever. And if it's obviously good, people will pay. If it's bad, people won't pay. But it isn't them that did the work. It's everybody that's part of SAG-AFTRA and WGA. So why aren't they getting, you know, I've heard the argument before. Well, I don't have the power. It's the C-suite and the business owners that are the ones that are taking the risk. Well, no, not when you have quality stuff and you're the one that's judging it. You're making an informed decision about how much risk you are taking. But why prey upon the very people that are making it possible for you to enrich yourself like this? Oh, never quite get a good argument for that. So 
Anyway, let's keep on going. We have one more article. Uh, forget Mandalorians becoming Jedi. These are Jedi who became Mandalorians. Um, Ahsoka episode three was earlier this week. I should say last week, I guess, if Sunday starts the new week. Depending on how you live, Monday starts my new week. So, Anyway, this article actually has spoilers. I'm going to throw... Customize their rooms. Hold on. I fell behind again. Sorry, folks. There's that. Um, doo -doo -doo. There's that. And finally, the last article... Um, is about the Mandalorians and Ahsoka episode three. This actually does have spoilers in it. Molly Brazell over at screenrant.com put the article together. So it says Ahsoka has shown the Mandalorian Sabine training to become a Jedi, but Star Wars uh, has also shown the opposite where Jedi have become Mandalorians. Um, and I've always thought that Mandalorian until the Mandalorian came out. I always thought that Mandalorians were from Mandalore and a, a true Mandalorian. You know, I, I don't like those amplification terms like true or real or whatever you want to call it. Um, but when, if you're from Mandalore, then you're a Mandalorian, but because of the way things have transpired, you can become a Mandalorian from anywhere at any time. You just have to follow the tenets of Mandalore. Yeah, and that's not what I thought either. I thought, like, your interpretation. Yeah. So Sabine Wren's Jedi training in Ahsoka uh, shows a Mandalorian becoming a Jedi, but there have been also Jedi in Star Wars that have become Mandalorians. The reveal of Sabine as Ahsoka's Padawan was, a sho was shocking for viewers, except it shouldn't have been. Um, the Jedi are often considered ancient enemy of Mandalorians, warring with them uh, time and time again. Mandalorian armor and weapons have been designed specifically to defeat Jedi, including the lightsaber-proof Beskar and flamethrowers. They also defeat blasters. Um, for a Mandalorian like Sabine to be training as a Jedi is a rare but not welcome idea. Or, rare but welcome idea, not, <laughs> not welcome. Um... So there have been other Mandalorians who have become Jedi, though. The first was Tare Vizsla, the Mandalorian Jedi who began, who created the uh, Darksaber. Fuyang mentions Ahsoka Episode 3 that there have also been a uh, few other Mandalorians who have trained to be Jedi in addition to Tare and Sabine. Outside of canon, there are also instances of the opposite where Jedi have gone on to become Mandalorians. Um, so the Mandalorian Knights were Jedi who became Mandalorian. Um, and uh, I, I found it really interesting. The reason why I even included this is because uh, while watching Ahsoka, I was wondering how this even can occur that anybody can become a Jedi. What's really interesting about this is based on what I see in Ahsoka, they are, when I saw Sabine training, it was Luke Skywalker. It was a, a new take on Luke Skywalker's training and alignment with understanding that the force lies in all living creatures. It was said again 
the same the same configuration the same everything where luke was training with the little force ball um yes and the helmet is exactly what sabine was doing um and i even said while watching ahsoka episode three this is a remake of it's a retelling of luke skywalker's initial jedi training um but instead of a uh, that little training sphere it was um uh, what is the robot's name again um huyang so that was the training sphere basically and even moving the teacup was uh at parity with luke skywalker's training and but one of the things that was really interesting was the new movies that came out, right? They're episode one, two, and three came out after four, five, and six, and then seven, eight, and nine came out. Um, but the new modern movies kept on pinging quantification of midichlorians and that this person, this kid, this whatever had more force capabilities and that isn't what uh george lucas wanted um when uh, star wars was created um it was supposed to be uh a pervasive energy field that's what was said in the originals and that's what was said again in ahsoka and so it's realigning canon back to the original storyline where anybody can be a jedi It'll just take more work. You have to become. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but is they used... George Lucas attached to this show? Assuming George Lucas is still alive, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Oh my god, I'm gonna lose my. I'm gonna lose my geek cred. So I don't know if he's in this. Uh, he might be an advisor. I don't know. Hold on, let me see. We'll do it live. Dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. It doesn't, I don't see anything. It just says why George Lucas wanted Ahsoka in Clone Wars. They, uh, George Lucas has to be involved in some way but i don't know how they are um but to answer your question they are alive um but i'm gonna lose my my jedi cred because i i don't know if <laughs> george lucas is tied to this directly yeah, it's um, not clear yeah so then he originally set this up but that's not tied to the tv show yeah so the way that I see it is Ahsoka is trying to realign Star Wars to the original canon. Um, and I'm not sure if that's going to actually work out. Um, but I think the bigger problem is writers and actors. 
Um, and you're not going to get quality writing if all of the writers are gone. And you're not going to get quality acting from an AI, um, at least not for another 20 years. Okay. Apparently he is involved in the show, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. But I don't know how much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that much about the relationships behind it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is just kind of realigning everything and, um, we'll find out just how far this goes. This isn't going to be the last of the star Wars little mini series. Uh, I think that there's more on the horizon, but I'm not quite sure to what end the, the Sith will always be out there, um, to some degree and Jedi will be rebuilt um just like all things you know they gotta have balance um but we'll talk about it in the next episode so we're done for tonight but let me pull everybody back to the main street the welcome sign we refresh the page after the show is over we do this every time we uh have an episode that's an interesting, after 28 years of service, Microsoft is killing WordPad. I don't know anybody that uses WordPad. No, I've seen some other headlines about that, um, but uh, same thing. Hmm. Interesting. Um, other than that, Tasha Yar's Romulan daughter is even more tragic than fans thought. It's a Star Trek article. Huh, I wonder what's going on. Might have to look into that one, actually become a little bit more. I might have to read this one before the actual show. Um, yeah, I don't know. Train cancellations as high as 13% in 2023. This is a BBC article, so I don't know if it's part of um, the U.S. alone or if it will include more. Top Tom Cruise created a major um, something problem for uh, Top Gun 3. Yeah, I saw that. I scrolled away from it. It's way up there. There we go. Top Cruise or Tom Cruise created a major Top Gun 3 problem five years before Maverick. Yeah. Tom Cruise. Um, okay, well, that's it, folks. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True story. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>